All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful weather. We are blessed to be here in Southern California and enjoy this weather, Lord. Lord, it's a beautiful day outside, and it's a beautiful day to come together to worship you. Worship our beautiful creator. And Lord, we thank you for this time, and we pray that you would speak to us and your spirit would move in our hearts. Challenge us, Lord God. May we not want to come and leave the same way. But may you challenge us, reveal to us some things that we need to hear. And Lord, we pray that you would move and be in our time, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you remember a time when you were a kid, when you were really young, like very young. Do you remember when the world just seemed that much bigger to you? Like everything was on a different scale. Everything looked big. I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, when When I was little... When I was younger, I was, uh, I'll just safely say I was on the smaller end of a kid, right? I was always the shorter one. Uh, for those of you who, uh, no, never mind, I won't, I won't pull the reference. Uh, but I was always smaller. And I remember, like, uh, growing up in one of our homes that we had, we had brick walls in our backyard, right, to, to uh, border the, our, our neighbors, right? And I remember when I was a kid, I'd look at those walls and always think, wow, these walls are so big. Right? They're so tall. And I always wonder, I wonder what the neighbor's yard looks like. It was so mysterious to me what lied on the other side of the wall. I would think, I wonder if, do they have a beautiful backyard? Do they have all grass or trees or is it just like pavement or cement? Do they have a swimming pool? That was always an exciting element to me because we didn't have a pool but at the time. But, you know, I always wonder, wow, do, are they one of those houses that have swimming pools? You know, when you're younger, everything just seems so much bigger. There are some houses that have all these kind of big trees. And I wonder also, like, is that house a scary house? Because it's always darker. The trees look a little bit more, I don't know, has that ominous Halloween look, right? Walls serve various purposes. There's many different purposes for walls. Walls, you know, when it comes to our homes, helps keep us feel safe, right? Walls provide some level of protection when we have walls. Sometimes walls help us to have privacy, Right? We want to build the walls around our house so we don't have anybody seeing what we're doing in the backyard. When I was delivering for, for Amazon and we delivered at different houses, there were some parts of my route that it was where the wealthy lived. You can tell because you couldn't see their house. All you saw was the walls and the trees. You had no idea what was behind there, right? Walls protect ourselves physically and also they kind of give us a sense of privacy, Right? Walls tend to do that. But walls can also be used for a manner that's not so good. I remember when I was young, one of the houses I lived in, instead of grass, we had rocks. It was kind of bizarre. I'd never seen that before. We didn't have grass, but we had these big rocks. And in our backyard, we had this brick wall at the time, and I was short enough that you couldn't see. The wall was high enough, so from the street, you couldn't see above it. You couldn't see 
what our yard looked like. Well, one time I had a friend, a school friend over, and we had the brilliant, not so brilliant actually, idea of let's have some fun. When cars drove by, let's get some rocks and throw it at the cars. <laughs> so the cars would drive by, we get the rocks, and we throw it. Well, there was one time a car drove, one, one time, I've only did this one period of time, okay? I didn't like constantly do this. A car drove by, I threw a rock, and you heard the ping. We giggled, we laughed, but the car stopped. See, there was a wooden gate, and I could see through the crack. I couldn't see over the wall, but I saw it through the crack, and my heart stopped. Behind the laughter of the mischievous laughter, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I was scared to death. The man comes out of the car. He goes to the back of his car, and he's looking like this and looking around. Of course, he can't see me because I'm behind a wall. I was scared to death. I envisioned this man going up to the front door and knocking on the door. Of course, the man just got in his car and drove off. All right, I'm not so proud of this moment, okay? I'm not very proud of this instance. But walls can help bring protection. They give us a sense of privacy. Walls can hide us. But walls can also prevent us. Walls can also keep us from the other side. And we all have different kinds of walls. During this pandemic, we've built up six feet of wall, right? We can't approach six feet from each other, apparently. We all have these different kinds of walls in our life, and these invisible walls are often built up by us, whether we realize it or not, to protect us sometimes, to give us privacy sometimes. But they also prevent us many times as well, right? Sometimes these walls that we built up is the extent, the limit, the barrier to where, how far we're willing to go or how far we're willing to, to the extent we're willing to take, the risk we're, we're willing to take, right? These walls tell us, I'm, I'm only willing to go this far. I'm not willing to risk beyond this wall, these invisible walls that we have. And sometimes those walls are a barrier. They represent the barrier of our faith, the extent of our faith. Our faith will take us so far, but beyond this wall, I'm not willing to go. I'm not willing to take. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever felt or thought of this, at this like I did as a kid, that mis- the mystery of, I wonder what's behind that wall in my backyard. If you're like me, if you've ever wondered and thought to yourself, I wonder what it would be like on the other side of that wall. What would it look like on the other side of the extent of my faith of where I could say, I'm not willing to go this far? Have you ever wondered, I wonder what it's like on the other side of that border? Today we're going to look at a passage that represents two perspectives Two journeys. We're going to see one man who is on his own life journey, if you will, his living his life, and it intersected with another one's, Jesus. 
And we're going to see this encounter, this confrontation, that as Jesus is going on his mission, he has this encounter with this other man, this person who's desperate for restoration. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark. We're in chapter 2 now. Yes, we are in chapter 2. We moved on. Mark chapter 2. To give you guys caught, get you guys caught up, last week we saw that Jesus healed a man with leprosy. And we saw that leprosy wasn't just an illness, but it was really a sentence of isolation. You couldn't interact with people like you normally would. You were considered unclean. And the only way to be distinguished from from being unclean to clean, is when you're healed, you had to go to the priest, and the priest had to deem you healed and to be considered clean so that you could go back into society, right? You don't have to walk around claiming you're unclean so that people would get out of the way. So this leper approached Jesus begging, falling on his knees, and declaring, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And we saw that Jesus was stirred with compassion when he saw this man. And he said, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus not only healed the man, but he declared him clean. He did what the priest was to do, right? And so he told the man, okay, you are cleansed. Now go, don't tell anybody. But go report to the priest as a testimony of what has happened. Of course, we saw the man, maybe perhaps at his enthusiasm, he didn't heed Jesus' warning, and when he's healed, he began to proclaim freely what happened. And as a result, Jesus couldn't publicly go into the city. He had to do it privately. Okay, so we're getting caught up. And here we are in chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, and when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Now once again, we see Jesus attracting a crowd once he enters Capernaum. So word got out, Jesus is back. And when it says the home, the likely references were, was probably Simon Peter's home that Jesus had visited earlier, right? So most likely this idea of home is, is referring to Simon and Andrew's home. But there's a packed house with people coming to hear Jesus teach. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been some pastors in my time where I was willing to go out of my way to hear them teach, I don't know if you've had pastors in your life or speakers in your life that you're willing to go out of your way just to hear them preach, just to hear them teach. There's some pastors I've heard that them and they're just so eloquent that they could preach the phone book and I'd be like, "Amen." You know? Just sounds good. But I think that's a kind of a just a on a side note, I think that's a real sign that you're on your way to spiritual maturity when you go to hear someone just to teach the Word. And you go not because you have any personal needs that, oh, you, you hope God speaks to you about a certain situation, but that you're just willing to go to hear the Word of God spoken. I think that's a, a good sign where you're at in your walk with the Lord. But here, so the house is full and it's packed. Verse 3, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
When they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now, it's important to kind of understand the houses and how it was constructed at the time. Houses, their roofs, were, were, had a flat roof, not like the, the roofs that we have here in, our, in the U.S. The flat roof was accessible with a ladder, often with a ladder or stairway, so you can go up to the roof because the roof had many different functions as it was flat. It was made of wooden or stone beams and then compacted earth or plaster or something to cover it. And so the roofs were often used for storage. They would dry their foods on the top of the roof. They would even, when it's hot in summer nights, they would go up on the roof and just sleep there as well. Aren't that kind of a neat thing? Wouldn't that be kind of nice? Right? We can't do that in our homes today. When it gets really hot, right, come, come July, to be able to just go up on and sleep on the roof, right, we can't do that because we're just going to roll down off our roof, right? But so, so there's many different functions. So here comes four men carrying a paralytic, a man who is paralyzed. And we don't know how far they traveled, but for whatever distance, nothing was going to deter them. Nothing was going to stop them to get to Jesus. Now, they had options, I'm sure. They could have waited, right? They, by the time they came, they saw the crowd of people. They could have said, you know what? Let's just wait it out. Let's just wait for the crowd to leave. Right? They could have stood in line. They could have waited until closing time. We got less busy. Nope. That wasn't their choice. That wasn't going to cut it for them. Perhaps they thought, well, you know what? We're not going to miss Jesus this time, right? Last time he was here, he cut out. We didn't get to see him again. Who knows? We don't know the scenario. But it said that wasn't going to be enough. We're not waiting. And we can see that the crowd perhaps was too thick to squeeze past, right? Apparently no one was going to give up their space. They had a paralytic man. There was a crowd there. We don't see people saying, oh, there's someone sick. Let them go in. No, they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. We know that feeling, right? Ever been in a crowded place? How many of you got gas this week at Costco? I got gas at Costco this week. And there was a long line. Parked my, I got my car and literally parked and waited my chance in line. And there was a car that was looked like he wanted to get in that line. And you know what I thought? Uh-uh. <laughs> the back of the line is over there, buddy. Right? We know that feeling when we're waiting in line and we can tell someone wants to edge in and we're just like, no, blocked. You're not getting in front of me. All right, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's my flesh. That probably is my flesh. Yeah, it's not spiritual, that's for sure. But we all know that feeling. But here are these five men. And they must have come to the conclusion, if no one is going to let us through, then we're going to make our own way. We must see Jesus. So what did they do? They carried the paralyzed man to the roof and decided we're going to dig our way down and lower him to Jesus. Now I imagine this scene. Jesus is teaching the people inside the home. And I can imagine, this is not biblical, right? I'm just imagining that Jesus is in a dramatic moment of teaching. And he has the attention of everybody. And in this dramatic moment, I just can picture, I can imagine, there's sounds up on the roof. 
and like dust begins to fall down, plaster or whatever it starts to fall down from the roof. And perhaps it starts to kind of add to the, to the, to the mood of the teaching. But then all of a sudden they hear a more dramatic noise wrestling up at the top. And then before you know it, the whole thing starts to kind of collapse, comes down. And the people look up and they see four men or four faces looking down. They're kind of happy, like, oh, we got it right here. Jesus here. Perfect spot. Now, I don't know what Simon's reaction was to this. I don't know his wife's reaction to this. But I can imagine his mother-in-law's reaction to this. Can you imagine? Your roof caves in and here's four men staring down at you. Sadly, we don't get that reaction, right? Mark didn't find it necessary to, to write down her reaction. But look at Jesus' reaction, verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their fate to the paralytic, said, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. Now, any possible emotion of anger or surprise or confusion about these men digging a hole large enough for a human being to be lowered down in their home was superseded by Jesus acknowledging their faith. Jesus sees their faith, but he says to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now we saw last week previously, Jesus was stirred with compassion for the leper. Here we see Jesus acknowledges the faith of these men. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it an encouraging thought to think that Jesus, that God has compassion over us? There's a lot of people who knows what we're going through, and you know what doesn't show compassion? But God shows compassion to us. And I find it encouraging. Here we see that God will acknowledge our steps of faith. There are many people in our lives that if we were willing to take steps of faith and take certain challenges and certain risks, there's many people in our lives will say, you shouldn't do that. That's too risky. You devoted all your life to something, and you're going to do this? Right? Right? But here, God, Jesus acknowledges their faith. He knows their hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows our desires. But the fact that Jesus would have compassion and he would acknowledge their faith is certainly encouraging. And notice it says, he, he says, he acknowledges their faith. He saw their faith. Not just the faith of a paralyzed man, but the four men who brought him there makes you realize, you know, how important it is to have people of faith in our life. It's important for us to have people of faith in our life. And it's important to have people with faith in our life. That we surround ourselves with people who have a strong, bold faith. Who's willing to help carry us when we are limited. Right? What a difference it is when you have people in your life who exhibit strong faith, bold faith. 
So Jesus responds to an act of faith, and he, he declares something seemingly out of context, right? He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. I find this kind of interesting, right? Culturally, it may not be as interesting, but here Jesus is in his 30s, right? He started his ministry in his 30s, and here he sees this leper, and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. This language not only of, you know, since he's divine, but also of a, a sense of a teacher as well. But besides that, it seems a little bit out of context because it would seem obvious this man came to be healed. Yet the first thing Jesus says is your sins are forgiven. We don't know the background of this man. We don't know what caused his paralysis. We don't know whether it was a, a result of his actions or not. And it reminds us, you know, sometimes uh, we have to be reminded that we have consequences for our actions, whether our actions are good or bad. If we have certain sins in our life, we can't expect that we're just going to skate by without any consequences. There will be consequences to our actions. But in this case, we don't see necessarily nothing to indicate that his sins were what caused this paralysis. I mention that because there's a lot of people that I've known and I've heard before who believe that if you're experiencing sickness or illness, it must be because you have some sin in your life. Some of you who've dealt with chronic illness or pain, sickness of some kind, perhaps you've been approached by somebody and maybe they felt like you needed to confess something because you have sin in your life. That's why you're going through what you're going through. I think that's sad. I think it's sad that some people say that. Because as we, we see clearly, not all sickness is because of sin. Now it can be. If we make certain choices in our life, we have certain, those choices come with consequences. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. And we're not to, to indicate that this man was, was paralyzed because of some sin he had in his life. If I ever hear someone say that, well, maybe it's because you have sin in your life, I'm tempted to say, you mean like pride? (laughs) But we have to be careful with that. But hear what Jesus says. He says, your sins are forgiven. When he says forgiven or forgiveness, it means to send away, to set free, to cancel a debt, the remission of punishment that is due. He says to this man, you are free from your sins. He sends them away. Jesus declares the man is forgiven. But Mark immediately draws us to the response of the scribes in verse 6. We don't even see the man's response. But Mark says, but there was some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. (coughs) Who can forgive sins but God? The scribes were thinking to himself, how could Jesus say such things? He's blasphemy. Verse 8. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. 
We're seeing the beginning of a reoccurring theme that, we're gonna, that we see throughout the Gospels. Jesus being challenged by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And Jesus meets this challenge with a familiar style of the day, a, a style of teaching at the time. He responds by asking them, asking them a question, as a teacher would ask a student. Some of you are in class still. You can, you, this sounds familiar, right? You ask a teacher a question, and sometimes their answer is what? They ask you a question, right, to get you thinking. And Jesus asks them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to arise, take up your pallet and walk? See, the thoughts of the scribes were not hidden from Jesus. It was revealed to him in the Spirit, and he knew what they were deliberating, thinking, devising in their minds. And he answers this question, he asks them this question, which is easier, to grant forgiveness or to grant a miraculous healing? And Jesus doesn't wait for their answer. What does he do? He does both. Verse 10, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he arose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. We see Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man, a self-designation we'll see in Mark. And this, uh, this designation has some roots in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This vision Daniel receives He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, Ancient of Days in reference to God, God the Father. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom (coughs) that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Here's this picture in Daniel of the Son of Man receiving from God, the Ancient of Days, an everlasting authority to reign over all people. And here Jesus Claims this authority. He says, I have this authority. You will see that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus claims this authority. I have the authority to heal, to forgive sins, and I will reign forever over all the people. So Jesus identifies himself here, and Jesus simply says, Rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And the man was healed. He took up his pallet, or his mat, and went home. What a story. What an amazing encounter this is. You know, there's some things that make you kind of go, hmm. You know, those things that you stop for a minute, you kind of want to think a little bit. There's some things in this story that made me go, hmm. I don't know if you have those moments, you kind of sit and you just want to think about something a little bit. Some interesting hmm moments here. One, we see the paralytic is not mentioned to be healed until Jesus declares, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. He didn't experience the healing right away. 
But it wasn't until Jesus said, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. I believe this shows Jesus was in complete control of the situation. He understood who was in the room and in the audience. I believe he knew these scribes. I know he would know what the scribes' reaction and response would be. But I also kind of think about it. I said, you know what? You know, I bet Jesus, not just I bet, I know Jesus. He not only knew this man's physical needs, but he addressed his spiritual needs as well. He said, your sins are forgiven, and his body was healed. The second kind of thing that made me go, hmm. The last two miracle stories began with a journey of faith, the faith of a leper to go and believe that Jesus could heal him. And he goes and he begs before Jesus, goes down on his knees and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then here we have the faith of the paralytic and his helpers willing to go up on the roof, dig on some person's house, and lower him before Jesus. These two stories of faith that intersected when Jesus was present, and it made me kind of wonder, it made me kind of go, hmm, I wonder what I must have missed out on in different times in my life. Because I let the barriers and that wall of what the extent of my faith would take me to keep me from seeing what was on the other side. What invisible wall was I unwilling to scale or break through because of fear of what was on the other side? Hmm. I still think of that. Third thing thing that I find interesting in the story. The last two miracles that we see we looked at involved cleansing and forgiving of sins along with the miraculous healing. Jesus declared the leper, you are clean. Go show yourself to the priest. And here Jesus first says, your sins are forgiven. What a full picture. I think Mark, from the very beginning, is showing on display the mission of Jesus, what he came for. It wasn't just about physical healing. He came to clean, cleanse us and forgive us of our sin. And the fourth thing, Jesus, he works in different ways. What do I take from that? Jesus, he didn't, like when he healed Simon's mother-in-law, we don't see a description of him touching her or, I'm sorry, saying anything to her. Jesus touched and then spoke, or Jesus touched her and she was healed, right? Took her by the hand and raised her up and she was healed. With the leper, Jesus touched and then spoke to the leper to be clean. And here to the paralytic, he just simply speaks. What does that say to me? These individual situations really speak to a greater message beyond the isolated encounters. The key issue isn't just about this person who is in need, but God is working in the midst of it, even within these individual situations. Yes, God shows us compassion. Yes, God recognizes our faith and responds out of his great love and mercy and kindness. However, he's always purposing something even beyond that, something even greater than our own isolated incidents. When God intercedes in our life, it's not just, often it's not just to appeal to what our desires are, but it can have greater ramifications. And I love how this passage ends, or that we're, we're going to end with today. We had never seen anything like this. 
and no true words were spoken. We have never seen anything like Jesus. These people were amazed and they glorified God as a result of what they saw. And we have to understand, there has been no one like Jesus ever. No one who claimed what he claimed and was able to back it up, not only with the words he spoke, but with his actions, with his compassion, with his heart, with his miracles. No one can have the boast that Jesus has. And it's important for us to realize in all these stories, the central figure, sometimes we think the central figure is the person who gets healed, right? In all these stories, Jesus is the main focus. He is the hero in the situation. He is the one that we should truly focus on. It's not just the healing. It's not just the leper, not just the paralyzed man. It's not just the, the woman with the fever. Jesus is the central figure in all, this, all these situations. And in our life, and in our, go, in, in our needs, when we go before God, we are not central to the situation. We have to have the mindset that, God, you are still center of my situation even in my time of need. Now, I mentioned at the start, being a young kid, always wondering what was on the other side of the wall, right? As a kid, one of we had a, a dog. We had a number of dogs, but I remember when I was really young, we had this one dog. I don't remember what it looked like. I asked my siblings, they, we don't even know the name of the dog. But I remember we had a dog, <laughs> The reason why I remember we had this dog is because this dog would always jump over our wall. It was a brick wall. Somehow, it managed to jump over the wall. I don't know what happened to that dog. Obviously, it didn't stick around because it kept jumping over our wall. I don't remember what it looked like. I just remember... It kept jumping over our wall. And you know what? There's a part of me that really admires that dog. I admire that dog because no matter how how high that wall was, no matter how strong, it wasn't going to keep that dog in in that yard. It found a way to jump over those walls. Now, that analogy is not perfect because I don't know what happened to that dog. (laughs) But the wall was not a deterrent for it. What is on the other side of the limit we have put on our faith? What walls have we put up to the extent of our faith? And we say sometimes, God, I'm just not willing to go that far, that high, that around. I don't have the answer to that question for you. But here's a couple things to kind of think about. Some things of application. One thing from the story, very practical thing. Have a company of faith in your life. Have people in your life with a faith even bigger than yours 
who have a faith who will help literally pick you up when you need it in your time of need and help you go through lengths that you may not be willing to go to yourself or maybe you're not even capable of. But have people, a company of faith in your life who can challenge you. You can challenge each other in your faith. Encourage each other to stretch the boundaries of your faith. The second thing, be determined to experience Jesus. Purpose it in your heart to focus on Jesus and let him help you with those obstacles. I want to experience Jesus. I want to hear him. I want to spend time with him. I don't want to cut him out of my life. (coughs) These five men, I'm assuming they're, you know, Jesus included all five of them. They were determined to see Jesus. And a crowded house wasn't going to stop them. Can you imagine if the leper decided, Jesus won't see me. I'm unclean. He's not going to spend time with me. He's not going to take time out of all these people to spend time with me. Can you imagine the paralyzed man? Maybe he tried to see Jesus before. We don't know. But he said, I'm paralyzed. I can't go anywhere. And I don't have anyone to help me. I'm doomed. I believe if we're determined to experience Jesus more in our life, that we will. And he will stretch the boundaries of our faith. Because he'll show us. I'm here. I see you. I see your steps of faith. I see your desires. May we be like that dog. To some extent. That's willing to jump and go beyond what our faith says. Nah, you can't. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you that you see us, you know us, you know our limitations, and the beauty of that, Lord, is that we rely on you, and you have no limitations. Lord, I pray you would help us. If there are walls that we have built up that have limited us from experiencing you, limited us from experiencing what you can do in our life, Limited us from experiencing what you have for us. Lord, may we be willing to scale those walls, break down those walls, and experience you in our life. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.